good. Happy Easter. It's great to have everybody here this morning. If uh, that didn't work, if you're looking around and wondering why we have a few open seats, uh, we actually have two services going today. Our first one out of Point Furman is actually, I believe, complete at this point. But uh, super grateful to have you all here today. I uh, did want to start out with, if we uh, could get the uh, Wi-Fi up on the screen, that would be awesome. But uh, if you can go to the App Store, if you don't have our app, we'd like you to download that. There's the uh, Wi-Fi connection so that you can uh, make that happen. You may be wondering why. Well, it'll keep you connected with us and everything that we've got going on. And by 11.50 this morning, uh, we will have the winner of an Apple Watch. But what that's going to take, what's going to need to take place in order for that to happen is you get your app downloaded, you click on here where it says check in, and then it will ask you for your name. Uh, all we need to do is put in your name and your email address. And then at the bottom, you click check in, and that will go into our computer. And uh, Marshall Craig, being the wonderful tech guy that he is, you may be wondering how we're going to select a winner this morning. Well, there's a uh, website called random.org that that information will go into. Uh, I think Brian said it sprinkles a little bit of space dust on it or something, uh, some kind of quantum physics thing, and then it uh, actually will sign numbers to the names and randomly pull a number. So uh, we'll have a, a winner for you here a little bit later this morning, but please take the opportunity to go in and download the app. Uh, I've got all my notes from this morning uh, uploaded into the system as well. You can click on notes, follow along, and uh, maybe take a closer look at those scriptures a little bit later in the week. But with that, I did want to take the opportunity to uh, welcome the Mayfields back from their honeymoon. It's great to have them back in the mix. Yeah, my name is Steve Marici. I'm, uh, I have the opportunity to serve here as the lead evangelist in the South Bay Church. And Easter, you know, we're, we saw a little bit of the kid perspective on it. Uh, it was really interesting. I, I saw a talk show host that uh, took a little bit of time to walk around Manhattan over this past week and ask people about Easter. It was a little shocking to me uh, how many people did not know the significance, what it is and why it is that we're celebrating Kids absolutely actually did a much better job than uh, a lot of the adults that were interacted with in this. But, you know, when it comes to Easter, this is an incredible time to focus on what did take place. And I know for me personally, the gratitude I have for the transformed life I have in Christ. Uh, I've been a Christian now for 30, well, let's see, where are we at? 28 years. Uh, I was baptized in December of 1990. Uh, along with my wife, Jacqueline, who isn't here today, we got a phone call this morning. My daughter is having some health issues, so she asked Jackie to stay home with her. Uh, if you could be praying for Shailene, I would greatly appreciate that. But getting back to the significance of what this is all about is God gives us the ability to live transformed lives, to truly live life to the full. So with that, I'd like to start in Romans 5, verse 1. And this morning, it's really incredible. We've got a number of people from various walks of life, they're going to be sharing what it means for them to be alive in Christ and the way Jesus Christ has personally worked in their lives. Romans 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because of all sin. In verse 18, if you'll drop on down, it says, Consequently, just as a result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, 
So also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as though the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. You know, when we think about this, sin, trespass, those kinds of things are not on our top ten list to normally talk about. You know, and, and some of us may even find this a little off-putting, but I would imagine this is something that probably relates to all of us, and that there are things in our lives, some form of maybe compromise, something that's taken place that leaves us with a sense of regret. And the thing that's so amazing about Jesus Christ and the significance of this day is those compromises that may have led to regret, sin, and what that looks like and the separation it can create between us and God, God eliminated and broke down that wall through the blood of Christ. See, God eliminates the repercussions of those compromises and regrets, which sometimes can leave us hopeless. I think for me, the, the significance of today, more than anything, is this incredible sense of hope I personally have because of what Jesus was willing to do for me when I was at my worst. You know, that worst for me looked like adultery two years into my marriage. And understanding the carnage and destruction that can come through that, but how Jesus gave me the ability to rebuild that. And even as, as Christians, as we'll hear today, there's still challenges. There's still suffering. There's still Satan pushing those buttons where he tries to get us and sometimes wins and does get us to compromise. But for us as Christians, as disciples, the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us. And ultimately we have hope. So back to hope. Why do we have hope? Let's take a look at Philippians 3 verse 20. In Philippians 3, verse 20, it reads, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his body. And you know, this is the thing that's amazing is Christians, every Christian has a story. Every disciple of Jesus Christ has a story. Every one of them can tell you why they have hope. And then again, with that, why? Because Jesus has the power to transform our bodies to be like his. Now, how does this transformation take place? Again, this is the incredible thing about Easter morning and the significance that has for us. And with that realization, what we do with it. Paul talks about in Romans 6, verse 1. He says, what should we say? Should we keep on sinning so that God's wonderful kindness will show up even better? No, we should not. If we're dead to sin, how can we go on sinning? Don't you know that all who share in Christ Jesus by being baptized also share in his death? When we were baptized, we died and we were buried with Christ. We were baptized so that we would live a new life as Christ was raised to the life by the glory of God the Father. If we shared in Jesus' death by being baptized, we'll be raised to life with him. We know that the persons we used to be were nailed to the cross with Jesus. This was done so that our sinful bodies would no longer be slaves of sin. We know that sin doesn't have the power over dead people. And as surely as we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know that death no longer has any power over Christ. He died and was raised to life, never again to die. And when Christ died, he died for sin once and for all. But now he is alive and he lives only for God. In the same way, you must think of yourselves as dead to the power of sin. But Christ Jesus has given life to you, and you live for God. Don't let sin rule your body. After all, your body is bound to die, so don't obey its desires. And if we drop down to verse 20, it says, When you were slaves of sin, you didn't have to please God. But what good did you receive from the things that you did? All, have, all you have to show for them is shame, and they lead to death. Now you've been set free from sin, and you are God's slaves. This will make you holy and will lead you to eternal life. Sin pays off with death, but God's gift is eternal life given by Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, we know where the things lead in our life. If we are, These aren't things that are in according with what God's expectations are for us, what God has established. And ultimately, that can be hopelessness, separation, and death. But as we see in verse 23, it doesn't end there. And this is where hope begins for each and every one of us, Christian or not. If we have that realization and we turn to God, God gives us the ability to embrace that hope for our own. Again, Romans 6.23 in the NIV version reads, 
For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you know, just really, that is what Easter is all about. It says the wages of sin are death. But the reason we have hope this morning is Jesus walked this earth sinless. And because of that, death would not hold him down. Death could not have a grip on him. And because of that, we have hope today. As Jesus rose from the dead three days after being entombed, we too can have hope, as we saw in Romans 6, to be raised to a new life through the waters of baptism with Jesus Christ. So this is where we truly become alive. And this morning we have several people that are going to be sharing about their transformation as they've been given the opportunity to live life to the full and become alive in Christ. With that, I give you Frank Aquilina. Hello. All right, I'm as nervous as can be, so just bear with me. I'm going to botch this whole thing, so you can laugh if you want. That's cool. Um, the wages of sin is death. It's that simple, right? Um, when we think about it, when we think about our lives um, before Christianity, um, we thought we were alive, everything we did, but there was a lot of sin that was involved, I'm sure, and again, the wages of sin is death. With that said, um, for those of you that don't know, my name is Frank Aquilina. I was baptized into Christ about 18 years ago. Um, right after that, about 30 seconds after that, I baptized my wife. So that was very cool. Um, we've been married for about 20 years. My wife is Tanya Aquilina. Uh, we've been married 20 years, and we have two beautiful girls, Mariah and Gianna. Um, I wanted to share a little bit about my life um, before I became a Christian. And, dur and during my walk with Christ. Um, I grew up in Culver City during the 1980s. Um, I don't know if, I guess a lot of us grew up in the 80s, so we knew what that was about. Um, <coughs> there really wasn't, um, in, my, in my family, we didn't, uh, we didn't think about God all that much. Um, I think at one point my father said, yeah, we're, uh, we're Catholics. Uh, never went to church or anything like that, so I was a Catholic. Uh, that was it. Um, as time went on, um, got into junior high, um, went to Culver City Junior High School. Um, that is where um, I found out what I was really good at and what I really was horrible at. Um, academics, not so much. Um, horrible, horrible, horrible. But what I was good at... Um, I was a natural athlete, so um, I excelled in sports. Um, but I was kind of, it was like half of me was into athlete athletics. The other half, um, I found out what it was like to party. Um, I found out what it was like to do uh, drugs and alcohol. Um, used to hang out at the Culver City Projects. Um, if there wasn't a drug that I, or if there was a drug that I didn't like, I tried it a few times just to make sure. Um, the ones that I, the ones that I liked, I did for years and years and years and years. Um, it got to the point where, um, in the mid eighties, my parents decided to move me to, um, to Tucson, Arizona, thinking that that would actually, that would actually help. And, uh, I didn't think this was the part where I'd get choked up. At. <laughs> um, um, during that time, like I said, we moved to Tucson, Arizona. I believe it was my uh, uh, junior year in high school. And um, with that move came a lot of um, new friends, but still the same type, you know, um, going out partying. I found um, at that point I found what, um, you know, getting into a lot of LSD and mushrooms and stuff like that. Um, and, um, yeah, that was um, – <laughs> that was my high school experience. Um, I did graduate high school in 1988. Um, I stayed about a month um, in Arizona, and that, at that point, I was like, I'm done with this place. Uh, moved back to California. Um, wait, I'm going to back up a little bit. Um, the only thing, the only good thing that came out of Tucson, Arizona, was after I graduated, um, like I said, I was there. Um, actually, I was there several months. I met a girl named Tanya Corden. 
and uh, pursued her, and actually she became my girlfriend for a while, and then just out of the blue, I just got up and left and moved back to California. Um, <coughs> moved to Hermosa Beach, and that's when things got really out of control. But I was alive, right? I felt alive. I was doing things that I wanted to do, but I was rotten to the core. I was actually dead. I was as dead as can be. Um, I was in Hermosa Beach for about eight years doing anything and everything that I wanted to do. Um, debauchery, that was it. My whole life was just anything that I wanted to do, I did it, whether it was illegal or not, um, whether it was morally or ethically acceptable, it, it didn't matter at all. Um, I have this, <laughs> this labeled the best worst idea ever. So the best worst idea ever I had was at some point I got tired of just, you know, not, not having control of my life. Um, I was doing, at that point I was doing a lot of blow um, and just, just, just out of control. So um, I decided, <laughs> again, that's not the part. Um, I decided what a great idea would be if I um, moved to Alaska and get on a fishing boat to dry out of all places. A um, bunch of my friends would go there for six months at a time. They'd make a bunch of money, come back, and, you know, party and have a good time. And so that was the plan. Uh, with that plan, I went to Tucson, Arizona to say goodbye to my parents. And uh, mind you, this is eight years from the, the time I decided uh, to move from Tucson to Hermosa and then back. And within eight years, I had not spoken to Tanya Corden within that, within that period. So... Um, I get to Arizona, <coughs> I get to Arizona and, uh, you know, it didn't change, I partied, you know, that night, and then I was like, you know what, I wonder if Tanya Corden's still around, so I decided to look in the yellow pages, and sure enough, there's her name, so I call her, and I had not spoken with her in years, um, eight years. And <laughs> I'm not the right person to be doing this. <laughs> um, so she picks up. <laughs> That's what I need. <laughs> Thank you, Gigi. I could just focus on you. Okay. <laughs> so she picks up the phone, and I ask if this is Tanya. And literally, after eight years, she's like, is this Frank Aguilina? And I said, yeah. Um, anyway, asked her to go to dinner or something like that. She declined. And I was just very persuasive. So... Um, she said, well, I have a two-year-old daughter. If you want to come by, we could hang out. And that's my daughter, Mariah, now. <laughs> um, figure that one out. Um, so I was like, I'll be there in 45 minutes. Like 10 minutes later, I'm knocking on the door. And um, she comes out, and she has Mariah. And it was literally that second. It was like, you know, I'm in love, you know. So um, let's see what else do I have here. So. Anyway, the long short of it is at that point, um, we, um, we moved in together. Um, I think it was about a year, year later, we wound up getting married. And um, my drug use just miraculously kind of just, it vanished. It, didn't, it wasn't like I quit. It wasn't like I uh, decided that it, was, wasn't any, it wasn't my life anymore, but it just, it just happened. So... Um, so we get married, I think it was about a year and a half after, um, and then shortly after that, we had Gianna Aquilina, and at that point, I was like, you know, we should probably start going to church for the kids, and um, she agreed. Um, I grew up with, without God. She grew up with God, and so we went to a, um, a kind of a mega church, and we, we were there for probably about a month or two, 
and um, never had a handshake, never had anything. It was very, very interesting. I mean, the um, the seed was planted, um, but there was just no fellowship. And out of the blue one day, um, Tanya was at a park that she should have, she, she never should have been, ever. And she runs into a, a lady there that invites her to church. And... Um, she winds up, she comes home, and she's like, hey, we got this invitation to church. And uh, I'm like, all right, cool, we'll go. So we wound up going, and um, uh, Sylvia Carver was her name, and Doug, Doug, Doug Carver was the husband. And so we sit next to him, and he's probably about, you know, six foot six, pretty big dude. Um, and the preacher starts talking, and it's just really convicting me. And he's looking at me, and he'll like, do like an elbow thing, going, convicting, ain't it? <laughs> and I'm like, this happened like three or four times, and on the fourth time, I'm like, if he elbows me one more time, I'm going to knock him out. I'm like, that's it. So <laughs> so uh, we get out, and she loved it, and she's like, this was great. And I'm like, we're never com- coming back to this church ever, 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 ever. So um, we get invited to a Super Bowl party from the church. At that point, um, I got it. I think I got to wrap it up here pretty soon. Um, at that point, we wound up um, being asked to study the Bible, and I was like, "Yeah, these Christians are pretty cool, you know." Drinking a couple beers here and there, it was pretty cool to see. And uh, we studied the Bible. Uh, shortly after that, <coughs> um, we were baptized and um, on fire. We were alive. We were alive in Christ, but that didn't mean that we were safe from Satan. Because Satan has a way to creep up in there and bring demons from your past back to life. And um, that happened to me. Um, There was a point, um, I think it was about almost, uh, what, eight years, nine years into our Christianity, where um, um, this was part I couldn't write down, where I I fell into temptation. And... um, I've just, I'm grateful to God that it didn't go as far as it could have because it really, at that point, it could have. Um, it could have turned into a, a, a f- you know, a full-blown affair. And um, I was, uh, it took a long time. I mean, let me go back. Um, I was caught, basically, point blank. And I, uh, at that point, particular moment or two I didn't even really care and um, I was mean as can be and nasty and my wife was just just so like just hurt like um, more so than you know you could imagine and um, and my first reaction was anger and I was like man why is she so angry and I'm like idiot you screwed up you know (laughs) So um, the long short of it was, um, I was just she was she was just fighting and fighting for our relationship, and I really wasn't really trying all that hard. And um, I remember sitting; it was at our office, and I was sitting at this at at our office table, and a song came on. It was from Jeremy Camp, and it was um, I don't know if it was from Jeremy Camp, but um, uh, what is it? It's um, be careful, little hands, what you, yeah, that that song. And she walked in kind of at that moment, and that was, <laughs> that was like the moment, you know, you get, and um, I equated to all the pain that I, that I, that I um, put on my wife, I equated that with, um, you know, Christ dying on the cross, and I just broke down and apologized and, you know, she forgave me. She forgave me, and sorry. Um, just like Jesus, Jesus forgave us for what we have done and the pain that we've caused. God. horrible (laughs) the pain that we caused him anyway the good news is (laughs) 
um, we're still married, and that incident in our lives had made our relationship so much stronger. Um, it didn't happen overnight. It took time, and every now and then, you know, there's the scab gets peeled back a little bit, and we have to deal with hurt issues or hurt feelings and emotions. But alive in Christ doesn't mean that it's pleasant all the time. It it just means that we know we know we have salvation, and um, you know, I'm just I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for him dying, Jesus dying on the cross for us. And we just have to, you know, take that to heart. And that's it. <laughs> Hello, everybody. How are we doing? Um, I'm Amy Funabashi, if you guys don't know me. And I'm a part of the Young Adults Ministry, the Yams. Yeah. Um, to share a little bit about myself, I consider myself a half-blood kingdom kid um, because I was raised in the church until I was about seven years old, and um, at that time, my parents both decided to leave God, and um, for me, there wasn't really a difference. It just was, we went to this church, and then I went to another church, and so we kind of uh, church hopped around a bit, um, but I really had no understanding of who God was or what role he played in my life. I, I believed in God, but that was about it. Um, and, you know, growing up came with many challenges. My family was broken and dysfunctional in a lot of ways. Um, I come from a family of alcoholics. And, um, whoa. <laughs> um, a close family member's alcoholism really damaged our relationship and affected how I viewed God and how I believed um, God viewed me. Um, I felt that if this person couldn't love me the way that I needed, then how could God ever love me? Um, I struggled with many insecurities and feelings of a worthiness. Um, I just wanted to be loved, and I wanted to know that I mattered. And, um, you know, I tried to find that in friendships at school, um, boys or achievements and, you know, ed educational achievements or whatever I could get that could make me feel good about myself, um, make me feel worthy. And uh, a lot of times I was just left feeling empty. Uh, my heart began to grow very hardened by my bitterness towards this family member and towards God. Um, but by the grace of God in 2012, my mom came back to God. And I was 15 years old. And, um, you know, coming back to this church, I, or coming back to a church that was like this, I was like, this is weird. Like, people are hugging. People are talking to me, trying to get to know me. And for the first time in my life, I was like, this is something special. Um, but I was still very hurt and confused and Oh, excuse me, Ooh. and very angry <laughs> because of what God had let me go through. Um, you know, just the different things that I had gone through growing up. And uh, then a teen leader asked me to study the Bible, and I was like, sure, I don't know what that means, but okay. Um, and as I studied the Bible, I began to learn about God and, and his love for me. Uh, in Psalms 139, 13 through 14, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, and I was like, wow, God loves me. God knows me. He knows the good and the bad, and he still loves me. And that was something that I just couldn't, I still can't, like it's still something that I just can't comprehend um, because God loves me that much that he let Jesus die for me on the cross. You know, and his death is, it's what sets me free from all the chains of sin and brokenness, and it, it brings true healing. And, you know, all that pain I was carrying around, I didn't have to carry it anymore because God was like, Amy, take, like, I'm taking it from you. Give it to me. Like, just reach out. Um, you know, and so I got baptized, and it was, you know, it was great. You know, got, got in the water, got baptized, got the Holy Spirit and all the good stuff. Um, and then more challenges came, more pain. <laughs> you know, that love of grace of God that uh, set me free also challenged me to show that same love and grace to that family member and to others. And it was it was hard. Um just constantly having to forgive time after time after time and um, not be conditional with my love, um, not let what people, the pain that people had caused me be a reason to, to see God differently or be a reason to see those people differently. It really, um, having God really freed me from a lot of that. Um, but yeah, I experienced more pain, more hardships. I fell in and out of my depression and just really struggled with that. And uh, it was just hard. I made a lot of mistakes. 
wasn't the greatest example as a disciple in, te- in, uh, in high school. It was tough. Um, There's so much temptation. It's like, yeah, like Frank said, Satan, he comes back harder um, sometimes. And so, um, you know, I doubted God's plan for me. I, I doubted Jeremiah 29, 11. I um, just sometimes just lost hope. Um, but I just remembered the cross and how much hope that does really bring. And um, like it says in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And God's grace really is enough. Um, it's easy that to feel just broken. It's easy to feel worthless, weak, and like there's nothing that can fix any of this. Um, but Jesus, Jesus did that for us. Um, and all the ways that we fall short, God has made up for with the abundance of blessings and grace and love. And every mountain I've had to climb over has only increased my faith. It's only strengthened my character. And it's only, um, you know, my love for God has just grown more and more. And I know deep down that there is a perfect father in heaven that loves me and cares about me and is with me through all the ups and downs that life comes with. Um, Because to be alive alive in Christ doesn't mean a pain-free life, right? Like, there's always going to be suffering. We're living in a fallen world. Like, that's just how it is. And, um, And so, yeah, but God brings so much healing, so much rejoicing, and so much freedom just from the chains of sin and brokenness, and it makes it all worth it for me. And so I know that I'm certain that I never would have made it past these four and a half years of being a disciple if it hadn't been for God and the kingdom that he's blessed me with. So... Thanks so much for letting me share. Uh, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Andrew Desario, and uh, this is my beautiful girlfriend, Janelle DeLeon. And uh, we serve here in the singles ministry. Um, and so we wanted to share a little bit, you know, about our testimonies and how we've been made alive in Christ. Um, but before we share, I want to read uh, Ephesians 2, uh, verse 1 through 5. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. You know, and so um, just reading the scripture, uh, I I just feel like God has really rescued me in so many ways, Uh, just from my own sin, from, you know, just the kind of the patterns of my family. Uh, Just sharing a little bit, you know, before I grew up in the church, my parents got baptized when I was about five. Uh, But before that, um, you know, my mom was a 16-year-old mom. She had me when she was 16. Uh, My biological dad, uh, he had a lot of issues with drugs. Uh, he, he was a gang member, and so he wasn't really around. Um, and so then my, my stepdad ended up coming into the picture when I was younger. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, and so I, you know, I got to grow up with a dad. Um, but uh, it was just cool because you know, my, my family, they were uh, searching for God because they knew that you know, the way they were doing things wasn't working. And there was, like I said, a lot of issues in our family with drugs and uh, people going to prison and stuff like that, and so, and so, uh, my parents uh, studied the Bible, got baptized. A few years later, uh, my biological dad actually studied the Bible and got baptized as well. Um, and so, I grew up around the church, and so, um, being kind of a kingdom kid, uh, I kind of knew, you know, what was right and what was wrong. I grew up around the scriptures. I grew up around um, just you know solid doctrine and. Uh, but, you know, times came in my life when just difficult situations arose. Uh, around middle school, my, uh, my grandfather uh, got cancer, ended up passing away. And, um, and so that was difficult because um, around the same time, my dad, he, uh, he ended up leaving the church, um, was back on drugs, uh, ended up going back to jail. And so for me, it was a very difficult time because it's, I mean, it's middle school. You're like weird. You're trying to figure out. <laughs> you know, who you are and what's going on in life. And, uh, and so I remember just feeling like, all right, I'm going to do anything I can to be accepted by people, anything. Um, and so, you know, during that time, I ended up hey, just hanging out with a lot of the wrong people. Um, I ended up uh, joining this, uh, this tagging crew, and I did a lot of graffiti. And, uh, and, 
and um, a lot of my friends, they did drugs as well. They, they smoked weed and drank. And so um, that's kind of the direction I was going. Um, and I, I, at one point, I just kind of decided, well, you know, I want to be a gang member like my dad was. And so um, I started wearing all red all the time. Um, I started just basically doing everything I said I wasn't going to do when I was younger. And, um, and so uh, it came to a point where I ended up um, – getting in trouble. Uh, police came to school and pulled me out of class, and uh, I ended up getting expelled from school. Uh, I was on a permit, so I lost my permit for that school. And, uh, and so it was just a challenging time. Uh, my dad ended up calling me, and, uh, and he just was uh, my biological dad. He ended up calling me and was like, hey, I, I see you doing the things that I did, and I don't want you to do those things with your life. And um, and then my parents, uh, they also talked to me, and they're just like, you know, you heard us. Like, we can't trust you. Um, you know, you, and I was just such a liar. I was so deceitful. Um, but I think I just had so much pain in my heart, um, just from different situations. And, uh, and uh, I had so much anger, and so I was just very violent. I was very um, just whatever Andrew wanted, that's what was going to happen. And, um, and if you look at me funny or you say something, disrespect me, then it's going to be a fight, something like that. And... Um, and so that's just kind of the person I was. Uh, and so after I had that conversation with my dad and my parents, um, I was obviously in a lot of trouble, so <laughs> I couldn't do anything. Uh, I was kind of stuck at home. And so uh, someone asked me if I wanted to study the Bible, one of the teen leaders in our ministry. And I was like, well, yeah, I guess. Like, what else do I have to do? Um, I mean, it'll look good to my parents, so let's do it. Um, and that was kind of my attitude about it. Uh, and so I started doing Bible studies. And... Um, and it was so different from, from growing up. Um, it became Jesus like this m mystical figure who holds babies and lambs and stuff like that. It went from that Jesus to, to seeing who Jesus really was as a man, as a revolutionary, um, that he came to change the world. And, uh, and I think once I saw the cross and what God was willing to sacrifice for me and how Jesus overcame death, resurrecting three days later, um, I just feel like... It, it moved my heart, like, all right, this is what I want to do. I can follow this man. And, um, and uh, you know, I feel like it really changed the course of my life. Um, in uh, 2005, I got baptized. Uh, I was 15 years old, so I was in high school. Um, you know, studied the Bible, repented, got baptized. And uh, my life has been so different ever since. Uh, you know, now I, I am an EMT. Uh, I work to save people's lives. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, both physically as well as studying the Bible with people and helping people, souls to be saved. And I, I just feel like I, you know, if it wasn't for God, I mean, I, I don't deserve to be here. Um, I know. I just, it's all God's grace like, like we read about. Because um, I know I could be in jail now or I can be, you know, on drugs or I can, you know, just have children out of wedlock, different things like that. That was the path that my life was going. And, uh, and I was dead in that sin. And, um, and I feel like God has really made me alive. Um, and now, I, you know, I'm so grateful because I just I have, not that my life is like smooth all the time and nothing bad ever happens and, you know, but um, I still struggle, you know, with, with my character and growing. And I'm so grateful to have people in my life who speak the truth to me. And I'm so grateful to even just be dating in the kingdom. Uh, Janelle's going to share in a minute. Um, but, you know, I just love having a spiritual girlfriend who loves God and who challenges me to, to pray when I'm having a hard time and who will pray with me and who is willing to say things that I don't like her to say, like <laughs> uh, that I'm not super awesome all the time, that she can challenge me. And, uh, and I'm just grateful because, you know, people at work, they ask me about, you know, dating and, and they're like, oh, do you live with your girlfriend? And it's like, no, our, com our conviction is not to live together. Um, we each have a conviction that you know, once we're married to someone, then we'll live with that person. And, uh, and so um, it's just cool to have this relationship. And I know I wouldn't have any of this without being made alive in Christ. So uh, here's Janelle. She's going to share a little bit. Um, so I'm Janelle. I am privileged to be in the singles ministry. Um, so I'm going to share a little bit about my testimony and how I'm alive in Christ today. 
Um, so growing up, I was very fortunate to have a religious family. Um, my grandma was very, um, I don't know, she was very religious, and she would always remind us to have time with God. Um, so my family was really involved in church, and so was I. Um, I served in the children's choir, youth ministry. I played the piano for, like, when they would sing hymns and stuff. Um, and I was even baptized at the age of 10. And so there were definitely issues with doctrine there, um, and that's a part of the reason why I left that church. Um, and so, you know, I got baptized because I thought that it would make my family happy. And um, I thought that it was like a one-way ticket to heaven, and I thought it was going to be like, okay, well, you're baptized. It doesn't matter what else you do with your life after that, but that's not it. Um, and so I was very sheltered. Um, church was my second home. Um, I was a goody-goody up until middle school, and um, specifically seventh grade when my brother um, graduated eighth grade, and I had no friends, so I had to make new friends. And when I made new friends, it wasn't the best people. Um, they were a part of gangs as well. Um, and so I got into a lot of trouble, and that was when I entered the phase of rebellion. And um, that just created a domino effect of bad decisions. And uh, I didn't really consider myself as a bad person because I didn't steal any cars, I didn't sell any drugs, none of that crazy stuff, but I still did lie. I lied to my parents about everything. I um, ditched school and I cheated on tests because I didn't know what was being taught in school because I wasn't there. Um, and so I knew something was off spiritually, but I didn't really um, go to God because I felt that I was protected by my friends, I had good friends, um, I felt accepted, and I as long as I didn't go to jail or get killed, I thought it was good. Um, so during this time in my life, I went to church still just to show my face to my grandma um, and my family members. But after that, I would just go off and like do my own thing. And that really wasn't, um, you know, what I planned for my life. Um, and so during college, I would go to work, I would go to school, I would party. Um, all that stuff, and um, that was my whole life until one of my friends reached out to me um, and asked me to go to a midweek service um, in Long Beach, and so I went there, and I um, thought it was okay and everything, and then after the service, they asked me if I wanted to study the Bible, and so I said, okay, like, I felt like I needed some spiritual nourishment at that point, because I wasn't going to church anymore, um, and then... Uh, after that, I, I was reading the Bible and studying the Bible and everything, and I got up until the discipleship study, and that's when I read Luke 9, 23 to 24. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. And then my first thoughts during, you know, just reading that was, I am turning 21 pretty soon, so does that mean that I can't have fun anymore? Um, does that mean that I can't go to Vegas and, like, party with my friends? And so I was thinking, you know, maybe God could wait. Maybe when I'm 22, then I'll study the Bible again and, you know, be baptized and whatever. And so I thought that that was it. I was happy with my life, partying and doing everything else, and, um, God had a different plan for me that summer, and that is when I went to New York. So I was traveling a lot. I went to New York. Um, I went to visit um, my friend's sister in Virginia, and that's when we ate dinner, and she reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to study the Bible again. And I was like, this is weird. Um, <laughs> uh, sure. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go like to Long Beach or anything like that and like show my face to the people that I just completely burned that bridge. Um, so I studied here, and I made really good friendships here, and I got baptized, so that was awesome. Um, and I, I don't know, during that time, I just felt really confused because I didn't think God would want me. I didn't think God would want someone who would deny him, you know? I felt like 
I don't deserve this. I don't deserve um, the people that are in my life right now. And I just felt like really um, ashamed. But he still wanted me. He still reached out to me in Virginia, you know, and brought me back here. And I studied the Bible and I got baptized. And so that was the best decision I've ever made. Um, and so my life in Christ is completely different from living in the world. My relationship with my family is great. I'm able to have good spiritual conversations with them, and um, I don't have to feel guilty about living a double life anymore. Um, I am able to have relationships with people, deeper relationships that, um, with people who tell me that, you know, this is what you're kind of doing wrong, and they don't get scared of telling me that because it's what's in the Bible. Um, and, you know, it's not something that I want to hear. It's something that I need to hear. So I really appreciate that here. And then I also um, am really appreciative of my relationship with my boyfriend. Um, that was, yeah. So I, <laughs> dating in the world was really hard. Um, I have been lied to so many times, and I've been cheated on so many times. And um, it just feels good to have someone who really loves me, um, like how God loves me, and tries to push me to be someone that God wants me to be. Um, and so even on our bumps, I know like it's not perfect or anything, because no relationship's going to be perfect. But um, in our bumps, we're able to move forward and talk about it and, and get advice from marrieds or like singles around us or anybody. Um, and we're able to grow from that. And and um, yeah, so I just wanted to share um, that my life, you know, it's not going to be perfect, but at least I know that there's hope and that I'm able to be alive in Christ. And um, if anybody's, you know, on the edge of like studying the Bible or getting in Bible studies or making that decision to get baptized, please do so. Reach out to anybody who brought you here because that is going to be the best decision of your life. Thanks for letting me share. I'd like to uh, take this opportunity to thank Frank, Amy, Andrew, and Janelle for sharing this morning. It's not, not enough to get up and just the whole public speaking thing, but getting real, being getting vulnerable like that, and really letting us in. It's uh, it can be very challenging, but I'm super grateful. I, I know people that did that when I was coming around as a Christian at the age of 32. It was real helpful for me to see that you know what they could do it. Maybe this is something I can do as well. So thank you again, you guys. Super appreciate it. Thinking this through, though, again, this concept of being alive in Christ. I have two passages I want to uh, just close out with here this morning before we take communion. And that, again, is I think we know this morning now where our hope does come from or what it means to be alive in Christ. Amen? There's one place, and there's one place only that that is made accessible to us, and this is the significance of Easter morning. In Colossians 2, verse 11, it reads, in him, Jesus, you are also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with Jesus in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. You know, we see Paul referencing again what he spoke about in Romans 6, this, this new life, this opportunity for transformation and hope. And knowing that why do we have this? Why has this come to us? It's because God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. And with that, Jesus was willing to pay the price. In verse 13, it reads, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Again, this is the significance of Easter morning, the victory of the cross. You know, this is a message that Peter preached in the first century after the resurrection of Jesus in Acts 2, verse 36. And this is where we're going to close things this morning. In Acts 2, verse 36, it reads, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And we kind of heard that calling with the testimonies that were shared here with us this morning. With many other words, he warned them in verse 40, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I think the thing that hopefully all of us can rejoice in this morning is today commemorates the endless possibilities for our lives. Total forgiveness, hope, life to the full, eternal life, something absolutely priceless, something that we could never afford, but it was given to us freely by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was willing to pay for our sins to give us the opportunity to have this relationship with God through the debt shed with his own blood. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and go to the Father in prayer. Father, uh, just thank you so much for the opportunity you've given us here this morning. Uh, every morning we wake up uh, is a day to be grateful for, but I know personally sometimes I can lose sight of the price that was paid to give me the opportunity to have a relationship with you. And Father, I'm grateful. As it says in Revelations 22, the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let those who hear him say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Father, thank you that you viewed us as being worthwhile enough to have that relationship with us, to engage us, but even beyond that, to come down in the flesh as your son, Jesus Christ, with this willingness to sacrifice your own life so that we would have the opportunity for salvation and a life with you. Father, as we take this bread this morning, I pray that we, we do not lose sight of the sacrifice that was made. As we drink the juice that symbolizes the blood of Christ, again, I, I pray that we can take this in such a way that we can leave here today with an incredible sense of gratitude for the relationship that you've given us, again, through your son. Father, you're amazing. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.